We looked at this passage once before in which we related uh, anxiety and prayer and peace. And you don't need to have looked at that one in order to see what I'm doing here, but if you want to, you can. In this session, I want to ask about how a familiar text like this, a precious text about not being anxious and enjoying the, the peace of God and being a person of prayer and freedom from anxiety, how does all that relate to the, the big issues of the epistle? In other words, if anybody were to take step back and say, what, what are the big overarching issues of Philippians, how, how does this relate? And sometimes when you ask that kind of question, it takes something that feels very personal and warm and just explodes the depth and breadth and significance of it by seeing its connections with the big issues. So that's, that's where we're going, and we'll, we'll jump to a couple of those big issue texts to show how that works. Father, Help us to make these connections now so that the preciousness gets all the deeper when we think about how you have made a provision for us to be free from anxiety, to be fearless people, and to be full of the peace of God and people of contentment by prayer. So come and show us these things and work them in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not be anxious about anything. So there is the first precious thing that is being said in this familiar text. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And there's the second thing that's being said. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's the the third thing. So we we have freedom from anxiety. We have prayer expressed in various ways, and we have the peace of God. Now, I'm going to suggest another word here, and I know where it's going, and you may spot where it's going also as soon as I change the word, but I want to set you up for something that's coming. So I'm going to call this fearlessness. Is that okay? So if you're free from anxiety... You're free from fears, and you could call yourself fearless. And here with the peace of God, I'm going to use the word contentment. If you have peace deep, deep in your heart, you're a person of contentment, and we'll just leave prayer as prayer. So I'm asking about how, especially how fearlessness and contentment all rooted in prayer, relate to the big issues of this letter. And so to see that, let's jump to one of the big issue texts. Virtually everybody who comments on this book in the big picture says, this is one of the central statements back here in chapter 1, verse 27 to 28. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So one of the big issues in this book is what kind of life shows the gospel to be tremendously valuable. This doesn't mean that our manner of life deserves the gospel. It means that our manner of life shows that the gospel is deserving of our greatest allegiance. So to to live worthily of the gospel is to live in such a way as to show the worth of the gospel. Now, what in the context here answers the question, what is the manner of life that is demonstrating the worth of the gospel in the world. 
so that, so let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you, so whether I see it, uh, or am absent, and I hear about it, so whether I see it or hear it, this is what I want to see or hear, that you are standing firm in one, one spirit, one mind, side by stride, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So there we have a big emphasis on unity, right? The camaraderie of one spirit, one mind, side by side, as you uh, strive for the faith of the gospel, standing firm in it, and besides unity, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now, there you have it, fearlessness. So that's why I use the word fearlessness, because I think that works so well here. Not frightened. So how would you describe the manner of life that is worthy of the gospel? I would, I would say uh, fearless, let's cross out fearlessness, fearless camaraderie. And I'm using camaraderie just to capture one spirit, one mind, side by side. So when Paul thinks of a manner of life that is demonstrating the worth and truth and sureness of the gospel, he's thinking of Christians who are united in their camaraderie and are fearless before adversaries. And then look at this. This, this what? This fearless camaraderie, this unity here and this fearlessness here, this is a clear sign to them, who? These opponents. A clear sign to them of their destruction and your salvation. In other words, you have just provided in your fearless camaraderie a manner of life that so clearly demonstrates the truth and worth of the gospel that your adversaries, if they were honest, would recognize this implies our destruction if we stay in unbelief, and this implies your salvation. So this is a huge text in the gospel, and now we've seen that right at the heart of the manner of life worthy of the gospel is this fearlessness. So Paul back here in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, is uh, dealing right here with do not be anxious with one of the big issues, namely how to live a life worthy of the gospel. Now let's, let's do the same thing with this one. The peace of God. How does the peace of God relate to the big issues of the gospel? Well, let's jump forward to chapter 4. Just what is this? Just four or five verses later. Paul is talking about thanking the church for their partnership in the gospel financially. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, your financial concern. You've sent money to me. We'll see that. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. He, he checks himself here. He's thanking them for their, their m the money that they sent. But then he says, but, but, but... <laughs> I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm talking about, I've got to have your money, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, there we have the peace of God that passes all understanding. I have contentment, and therefore I don't need your money. He does, it, he does the very same thing again in chapter 
4, verse 15 to 17, just a few verses later, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership. He's talking financially, especially here, with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And then he does the same thing again. But, but, but not that I seek the gift. So he wants them to know he appreciates the gift. And then he wants to back off and say, not that I really seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit by your wonderful giving to me. So what's the point? What, what is the point of 4.15 to 17 and 4.10 to 11 where he says, not that I am speaking of being in need and not that I seek the gift. The point is, I don't need your money to be content because the peace of God that passes all understanding has given me contentment. And he shows just where that contentment lies right here in these verses between those two texts. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why? How? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ is the key here to his contentment, which is the same thing he says in chapter 3, verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So, back here to 4, 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the contentment that he's talking about. And one of the great issues of the gospel is right here in chapter 1, verse 20, where he says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, or in my finances. So back here when he's talking about, I can do all things through him, him who strengthens me. He's magnifying Christ and he's saying, no, no, I'm not seeking your gift. I don't need your gift in order to be happy. Or chapter 4 verse 11 not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And what is that contentment? That contentment is through Christ, in Christ, the peace of God passes all understanding and guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, in relationship, in the enjoyment of Christ Jesus. So the big issue of Christ magnified, and gospel glorified, seen as worthy, glorified. The big issue is right here still being dealt with in freedom from anxiety, presence of peace, and then here's the, the closing clincher that's just amazing to me. Right here in the middle, the key to both is in everything by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving that God's going to meet every need. Let your requests be made known to God. Prayer, therefore, is right at the foundation and the heart of the big issues 
of Philippians and should be of our lives.